they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery or poisonous serpents or snakes among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten When he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Thus far the reading of God's word in the Old Testament. Now let's move to the New Testament, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verses 14, 15, and 16. Just three verses. And our message will focus on verse 16. Verse 14, John three sixteen, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you may see the uh, connection uh, here between... Uh, this verse and the passage we read in the Old Testament. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy, precious, infallible word, and may the Holy Spirit grant us his divine illumination. Someone has said, John 3.16 should be preached at least once in a church every year. Well, what we will do in this message is look into the heart of God by expounding John 3.16, which is really, as Martin Luther, the great uh, Protestant reformer, uh, said, the heart of the Bible John 3.16 is the heart of the Bible. And as we examine this text, John 3.16, under this theme, the love of God, there are four things that we will be considering. If you are jotting down, they all start with letter R. 
so you can easily remember them. Here's the first one. The range of God's love or the scope of God's love. Second, the recipient or object of God's love. Third, the result of God's love. And finally, the reason for God's love. So first of all, let's look at the range of God's love. Let's read John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world. Now, boys and girls, if you notice, John 3.16 begins with the word for. That word for functions as a connector. It connects verse 16 to the preceding verses. In particular, it elaborates the point of verses 14 and 15 that salvation is through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And that's why we read in verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that is to say, on the cross of Calvary, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like in the Old Testament, whoever, whoever looks to this bronze serpent on, on the pole, though beaten by a snake, shall live, will not die from the poison of that snake. And the same is true. There is a sense that, that we have been beaten by snake. By the old serpent, Satan, we have been beaten by sin with the poison of death. And we are dying. In fact, we are dead in sin and trespasses and will continue to die forever and ever in the lake of fire to experience that eternal death in hell. And yet we have this gospel message. We have this provision, gracious provision from the Lord that if we look to Jesus, we will not perish. We will not die, but have eternal life. Now, what is the range or scope or extent of God's love? In other words, in what manner did God love us? Well, we have the answer in our text. Let's read again. For God so loved the world. Now, in the original, in Greek, that word so should be translated as in this way. Hence, you can translate the uh, first part of John 3.16 as follows. For God in this way loved the world. Or for God loved the world in this way. Now the question is, in what way? Well, the answer is found in verse 14. God loved us in such a way that He sent His only begotten Son in order to be lifted up on the cross of Calvary for our salvation. That's how much God loved us. Now, we parents 
Oftentimes, we, we ask our children, especially if our children are little. My wife and I, we have five children. And we, we ask them, do you love daddy? Do you love mommy? And usually the response, the kind of response that we get from our children is either a hug or a kiss. Mwah, like, love, love daddy, love mommy. Now, if you put the same question to our Heavenly Father, Father in Heaven, how much do you love me? The answer is not a kiss nor a hug. The answer is the cross, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to say to us, our Heavenly Father is going to say to us, do you want to know how much I love you? Then look at the cross and see what I did for you. I gave my one and only Son to die for you, for your salvation. You see, Satan wants us to look at our circumstances to measure God's love for us. And so when something happens wrong to us, let's say when your doctor comes to you telling you that you have cancer, you look at your circumstance and you begin to, to doubt God's love for you. And you, you say, Lord, do you really love me? Because if you love me, why, why, why are you giving me this pain, this trial, this illness, this cancer? Lord, if, if you really love me, then why did you take the life of my unborn child? Maybe you, you had a miscarriage. Or maybe you just lost your loved one, your spouse, or your parent. Lord, why? You see, we look at our circumstances and we judge how much the Lord loves us by our circumstances. But God is saying to us, do you want to know how much I love you? Then don't look at your circumstances. Look at the cross. Look at the cross because that's where I demonstrated my highest form of love for humanity. When I gave my only begotten son. One of my favorite hymn writers is Isaac Watts, the so-called father of English hymnody. He wrote a hymn entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And really in that hymn, he is inviting or asking his singers to survey the wondrous cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that context, the word survey means examine it carefully. Look at the cross, examine it carefully, and don't stop gazing upon that cross, that wondrous cross, until you can exclaim, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what we need to do this afternoon. If you really want to understand God's love for you, to see the degree, scope of His love, look at the cross and don't stop examining that cross until you can indeed say, love 
so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you notice, in John 3.16, the verb loved is past tense. Actually, in, in Greek, it is aorist, which would be probably equivalent, somewhat equivalent, not exactly, somewhat equi- equivalent to our past tense. For God so loved the world. And, and, and the tense of the verb here refers to God's love that started from eternity past and culminated in the giving of His Son on the cross. So the, the love that we find in John 3.16 did not start at Calvary. It actually started from eternity past. And that's quite sobering, by the way, to think that even before we were born, God had already set His love upon us. And that's why in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God could say this to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What does it mean? Before I created you in your mother's womb, I knew you already. And the word knew, past tense of know, has a deeper meaning. It means that I already set my love on you, Jeremiah, before you were created, before you were conceived. And think about that. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this should stir up your soul and just want to bow down before God in thanksgiving that before, before you even came out of your mother's womb, God already set His love on you. And we can say this, that there has never been a time that God does not love us believers in Christ. And how actually, how do you reconcile that? Because when you read the last verse of John chapter 3, it says here, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. If this afternoon you are an unbeliever, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's wrath, according to verse 36, already remains on you. Not future tense, but present tense. Presently, God's wrath is on you. But think about this. And yet, as believers in Christ, we know that God already loved us from eternity past. Now, how do you reconcile that? Well, uh, I think the answer is the cross. Because on the cross of Calvary, we know that Jesus became sin, not a sinner. He became sin in the sense that He bore our sin on the cross. That's what Paul says. He who knew no sin 
was made sin. He became sin. And because Jesus became sin, God's wrath was poured on Him, the wrath of God. And yet, we know that in the midst of it all, God the Father still loved His Son. That even when God smote His Son, He still loved Him. And, so, and see, you see, there we see the, the, the mingling of God's wrath and God's love. It's really amazing. How do you explain it? We can't really fully understand it. And the same with us. It means, uh, let, let, let me use my life. The Lord saved me in 1996 when I was in the Philippines. Someone shared the gospel with me. And by God's grace, I was saved. So from the time I was born until 1996, I was living as an unbeliever. And according to verse 36, God's wrath was upon me during those years. And yet, because I was one of the elect, God's love was already set upon me even during those years that I was not believing in Him. You have love and wrath at the same time. Oh, amazing love that is. And, and that's why even John, John the Beloved, as he was reflecting on, on God's love, he could, he could only exclaim, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Really what John the Beloved is saying is this, this is a strange love. This is not ordinary, but extraordinary. You see, if God's love is ordinary... it is not going to be amazing. The fact that God's love is amazing is because it is a strange love. A strange love. And that's how much God has loved us. He loves. He loved and He loves. And He continues to love us with that kind of extraordinary love. For God so loved the world. My question before I move to my second point, do you know something of this love? Now, I'm not asking you if you understand God's love fully because no one can, can fully fathom the love of God. There is a sense that, that this afternoon, even as we study the heart of the Bible, John 3.16, we, we're just scratching its surface. But at least, do you know something of this love? That as you are listening to, to this message, you can, you, can, you can feel it because you have experienced that saving, electing, amazing, wondrous love of God. Or maybe you remain strange to this love. Now, let's... Consider the recipient of God's love. The, the question is this. Who, who or what is the object of God's love? Well, let, let's read our text. For God so loved, what? The world. The world is the object 
of God's love. That's the recipient of God's love. But the question is this, what does the word world mean in this verse? Especially in the New Testament, that word world has five possible meanings depending on the context in which it appears. For instance, in its wide sense, it refers to the universe, everything that we see in space. Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the universe. In its narrow sense, it refers to the planet Earth on which we live. Mark 14 verse 9, Jesus says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in her memory, in memory of her. Now, of course, the gospel is not expected to be proclaimed in, in, in all planets. So in the whole world means in the entire earth. It also refers to material, material things on earth. 1 John 2 verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Obviously, John the Beloved is not suggesting that we should not take care of earth. No, no, no. Do not love the world means do not love the material things on earth. It also refers to wicked people. John 7 verse 7, The world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So the world hates me. That, that is, the wicked people of this world hate me. But it also refers to people or human beings in general, both Jews and Gentiles, to mankind. And that's how the word world is being used here in John 3.16. In, in other words, and, and this is the beauty of the message of John 3.16, that for God so loved the world, the world, human beings, God loved not just the Jews, but, but even the Gentiles. Yes, including Dutch people, American people, Canadian people, Chinese, Korean, Filipino, you name it. God loved the world. All kinds of sinners. And who are we, by the way? Who are we sinners? We are sinful, hell-deserving people, perishing and dying people. We are enemies of God. Unlovely, unlovable. And yet, as Paul says, but God commends or demonstrates his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God loves sinners. Now, some people would say, well, well, that, that word world refers to the elect. For God so loved the elect. Well, that's true. We believe that. We teach that. But that's not, we, that's not what we see in John 3.16. And we, sh we should not force it to speak that way. We should be content with the plain message of John 3.16 when it says, For God so loved the world, sinners. Let's be content with that. Or else, our quest would be to find out whether we are one of the elect or not. And that's one of the problems of many people 
Yes, even within the reform circle. They want to know, am I really one of the elect? I am really one of the elect. They are so obsessed with trying to find out if they are one of the elect. Because they say, because if I am not one of the elect, then I am doomed to eternal condemnation. Then John 3.16 is not for me. But you see, that's not the point of John 3.16. It plainly tells us that God loves sinners such as you and I. Such as you and I. And that's amazing love. When we think of who we are before God. And because of that too, we have this assurance that no matter what happens, God will always love us because His love is from everlasting to everlasting. That our assurance does not depend on our love for Him but His love for us because the truth is Whenever we sin by implication, we are saying to God, I hate you. Whenever you sin, whenever we, we disobey God, we are saying to God, I hate you, not I love you. And yet the wonder of this love is that even when we sin, God still loves us. Now children, that is so true to you. You disobey your parents. Your parents still love you. Yes, they spank you. But the very reason they spank you, they discipline you, because they love you. And the same is true. Even when we sin, God still loves us. And yet He loves us with the kind of love that hurts Him. That hurts Him. And that's why, why should we continue in sinning? Paul says, shall we then continue in sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. And the kind of love that God has for us is, is inseparable. No one can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Now I remember boys and girls, years ago I was in uh, British Columbia. I actually uh, preached for one of the uh, URC churches there. And my uh, host uh, family, um, who um, uh, gave me a ride, a friend of mine, uh, gave me a ride. He said to me, uh, let me take you to uh, this place. It's a beautiful sp uh, spot. And we went there, and um, there was a river. And I saw a group of fishermen uh, they were actually First Nations, natives. And I noticed that as they were fishing, they had a rope around their bellies or around their bodies. And I said to, and that rope was tied to a uh, post, like a, a strong post here, a concrete post. And, and I said to my friend, why do they have a, um, 
a uh, rope around their bodies as, as, uh, as they are fishing because they, they fish with a net. And they are allowed to have a net, those uh, First Nations, fishing like this. And then he, he said to me, look, look, at, look at the water carefully. You see the current of the water? So rapid, so fast, so strong that if you accidentally fall into that river, there is no way that you can survive. That's why they need that rope for their protection. And when I thought of that, I thought of the love of Jesus. That the love of Jesus, the love of God is like that rope, that we, we have the love of God around us. And that love is, is, is connected to Christ himself, that solid rock, so that we will not fall into the lake of fire. So we have that eternal security that no matter what happens, we cannot be separated from the love of God. And hallelujah, what a blessed assurance we have. You may have heard of this hymn by George Matheson. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. At age 20, George Matheson a godly Scottish minister. He was born in 1842, died in 1906. He was engaged to be married, but he began going blind. When he broke the news to his fiancée, his fiancée decided she could not go through life with a blind husband, and so she left him. Imagine that. She left him. I think the day... Uh, before their wedding so painful years later George Matheson wrote this hymn oh love that will not let me go I rest my weary soul in thee his fiance's love let him go but the love of Jesus will never let him go you see and that's why if all that you have in this world is the love of your spouse, the love of your parents, the love of your children, you remain miserable because that love, that earthly love, will someday let you go when death happens. But we have the love of Jesus, which is from everlasting to everlasting. Third, Let's consider the result or outcome of the Father's love. Let's continue reading John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. When you read John 3.16, you encounter two that's. Here's the first one, that. He gave his only son. In Greek, that's hoste, which has the idea of result. And so really you can translate the first part of John 3.16 as follows. For God so loved the world with the result that he gave his only begotten son. 
And so, the giving of His Son, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, was actually the result of God's love for us. And the word gave here does not refer to the birth of Christ, but, but, but it refers to His death. The, the point of John 3.16 is not Christmas, but Good Friday. Moved by His everlasting love for us, God brought His Son to the altar of Calvary to be a sacrifice for our sins. And so the death of Jesus was a result of God's love for us sinners. But we can also say this, that the death of Jesus was also a result of God's hatred for sin. Hatred for sin. Because like what I said earlier, at that moment, Jesus was carrying our sin. He bore our sin. And as such, He must be punished for our sin. What a love that is. That God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. He did not spare His Son so that He could spare us. So that He could spare us. You know, you talk about the uh, Passover, and I think I understand soon you're going to have the Lord's Supper. You're going to have the Lord's Supper. Remember the story in the Old Testament. God said to the Israelites, kill a lamb, take the blood of that animal, and sprinkle it on your doorpost. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. I'm not going to strike the firstborn in that household. On the cross, on the cross of Calvary, God did not pass over His Son. Instead, God the Father stood. He stood right in front of His Son. He did not pass Him over, but He stood. He stayed right there in front of His Son at Calvary. And He smote His Son, as prophet Isaiah says in in uh, Isaiah 53, he killed his son. He bruised his son. He afflicted his son, but he was afflicted for us, for our sin. <laughs> he did not spare his son so that he could spare us, so that he could pass over us, so that we could celebrate the Lord's Supper with thanksgiving, so that we, we could enjoy salvation in Christ. What a, what a great exchange that is. What a love that is. And that was the result of the Father's love. And finally, the reason for God's love. Now, let's continue our text. For God so loved the world that, now remember that first, that has the idea of result. It's hoste in the original with the result that he gave his only begotten son. And here comes another that. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now it may not be obvious here, but in the original, the second that it's different from the first that. It's actually hina in Greek. 
Hina has the idea of purpose or reason. So you can, you can read John 3.16 this way. For God so loved the world with the result that he gave his only son, that or so that with the purpose that or for this reason that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, the reason, the reason why God gave his son to us to be lifted up on the cross of Calvary is so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I love that word whosoever because that includes you and me. It, inclo- it includes all kinds of sinner, Adulterer. Do we have an adulterer here? Murderer. Liar. All sinners regardless of their nationality and status in life. If you believe you will be saved. Commenting on the word whoever or whosoever, the uh, Puritan pastor Richard Boxer said, I thank God for that word whosoever. If God had said there was mercy for Richard Boxer, I am so vile a sinner that I would have thought he meant some other Richard Boxer. But when he says, whosoever, I know that includes me, the worst of all Richard Baxter's. Yes, for God so loved the world, sinners, so that whosoever, whosoever among them, whosoever among sinners, whosoever believes in Christ, shall be saved. In other words, the gospel is for all sinners and we must preach the gospel to all sinners. And, and don't we take this word whosoever in our evangelism. When we meet someone at the airport or the one who cuts your hair or at, when you go to the bank or at your workplace, whoever you meet, you have that, that whosoever in your mind that this person, if that person believes, that person will be saved. That includes our prime minister. That includes the vilest sinner on earth. Whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, I mentioned about election. How do you know if you are one of the elect? Well, if you believe in Jesus, you will know. It's like this. If I may illustrate my point, boys and girls. Let's say there is a door here. And above that door, there is a sign that says, Whosoever believes in Jesus will be saved. And when you see that, whosoever that includes me. Whosoever enters this door will be saved. I want to come in. The message is for me, whosoever. And when you come in, when you believe in Jesus, there's another sign behind that door that unless you come in, you will not see. And the message is this. You have come to Christ because you have been chosen by Him. 
you have believed in Christ because you are one of the elect. You have believed because I have chosen you from eternity past. Do you struggle whether you belong to Christ or not? Do you want to know, am I one of the elect? How do I know? Well, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will know that you are one of the elect. Now, as I end this message, does God's love still cause you to be amazed? Are you still amazed by the love of God? You and I probably live maybe just an hour away from Niagara Falls. We live so close to Niagara Falls. May I ask you, when was the last time you visited Niagara Falls? Last year, two years ago? Now, why is it that you don't want to visit Niagara Falls again? Could it be because of over-familiarity? Why visit Niagara Falls? I could see it any time. You go there, it's amazing to observe people coming from different parts of the world, having a self, selfie, like picture. Like you, you can tell the international flavor of the crowd. They spend a lot of money just to be able to see Niagara Falls. And here we are. When was the last time we visited Niagara Falls? You see, every Sunday you come to church. You get to hear the gospel. And you know the tendency? That we become so used to hearing the gospel that it does not stir up our heart anymore. That we are so accustomed to, to, to hearing the gospel that it has no effect on us anymore, no impact. We are no longer amazed by the message of the gospel. George Beverly Shea wrote a, a song. He says, There's the wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder a sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Just to think. That God loves me, a sinner like me. Lord, why? Lord, why would you love me this much? Why would you give your son for me, for me, for me, Lord, why? You see, one of the problems of many Christians today is that they have somewhat lost the sense of their amazement of God's love. It's gone. And once you, once you lose your amazement of God's love, the gospel is not exciting to you anymore. 
You know, our children, <clears throat> they, they, they come to me, and, and I remember one, one day, uh, I forget when it was, they, they were just so excited. Daddy, 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 come, come, come. And they were literally pulling me, come, come. I was doing something. I was in the middle of, of I forgot what I was doing. I was busy doing something. And, and they said, come, daddy, come, come, come. You, 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 you need to see this. So, okay. I went. Okay, what, what is it? Here, daddy. Isn't it amazing, daddy? So exciting. Look. Now, deep within me, come on, like, that. how, how? It's not exciting. But for them, it is exciting. That's why they, they wanted me to, to see it. You see, could it be one of the reasons why you don't evangelize anymore? You don't share the gospel anymore? It's because you don't find the gospel exciting anymore. Because if the gospel is still amazing, the love of God is still amazing, then you will want others to see it. Just as if you have a visitor from another country, the first thing you want to do, we will t- I will take you to Niagara Falls because you want that person to see one of the seven wonders in the world. Well, we have this, the wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. Revelation 2 verse 4, Jesus spoke to the Ephesian church. He said, I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. You don't love me anymore. Yes, your love is still there, but even when you worship, there's no, there's no zeal. You have left your first love. Do you still have your first love for Christ? Does God's love still thrill your soul? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for John 3.16. So simple and yet so profound. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Oh, Lord, what a love that is. Indeed, with, with Charles Wesley, we, we all say amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Oh, Lord, why would you die for sinners such as we are? Oh, Lord, help us to love you more in return, to serve you more to give everything that we have for you and help us also to have a revived zeal to share the message of the gospel with others that we will sing with Catherine Henke, I love to tell the story, that old, old story of Jesus and his love. Lord, bless each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.